Welcome to Maranatha Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Femi Fenoyo. We have joined a series that I've been doing on Maranatha YouTube teaching channel titled The Bible. We have joined the series at the beginning of another season, which we have titled The Story of the Whole Bible. Genesis chapter 3 verse 16, unto the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow. Thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Okay, so last time we looked at the first part of this sentencing. This, we look at the first part, and that is the part that touched on her vocation as a mother. First and foremost, we saw that God preserved for Eve the ability to procreate. God did not decommission her womb. God did not take that ability away from her. But the process of childbirth and raising those children is now associated with pain, is now associated with sorrow, enormous pain and enormous sorrow. But that was not the way God created it to be in the beginning. But thank God for another twist. The Bible tells us when we read 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says she shall be saved in childbearing. So the scripture gives a special promise to mothers in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, she shall be saved in childbearing. When we look at the Greek of that phrase, it is much more definite. It is much more forceful. She shall be saved through the childbearing. It was that definite. It was that forceful. She shall be saved through the childbearing. So by a woman's childbearing, the Savior, the seed of the woman will come into the world. The cause that was pronounced upon the fall will be mitigated and removed through childbearing. So the seed of the woman will confront and deal with the problem of pain, we confront and deal with the problem of sorrow in creation. And eventually God will create a new heaven and a new heart in which there will be no pain, in which there will be no sorrow. So let's move on now to the second part of Eve's sentences. So this is the part of the sentence that fell on her role and vocation as a wife. Obviously, these roles are pretty much connected, isn't it? But let's look at this second role. So let's read that Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 back again. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Unto the woman, he, God said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. So that was the first part. That is the part we have dealt with. Second part, and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over there. Now, in order for us to understand this second part, in order for us not to misunderstand this second part, in order for us not to be annoyed <laughs> by this second part or confused by this second part, it is very, very important for us to interpret it within its context. Understand that this was as a result of their sin. This is what Adam and Eve have unleashed upon themselves. And this is what Adam and Eve has unleashed upon creation. This was not God trying to manufacture a punishment to make them 
pay and to make them regret ever crossing his path. That is not what is going on here. In fact, we have seen consistently that, that God was tempering this judgment with mercy. A crime was committed, the law was broken, and there is always a repercussion. When you broke the law, the wages of sin is dead. The soul that sinned, it will die. I'm going to spend some time on this and I'm perceiving that I'm going to come back next time to dig around this because we are living in an environment now where there's so much ideology that, that actually say we, this is a cake. This is not right. Even within so-called Christian community. So that is why it is important for us that for us not to misunderstand or abuse because the, the misunderstanding can be in both directions. One direction can go on to one extreme and the other direction can go on to the another extreme. So the second part of this judgment, of this sentence is God told the woman and God said unto the woman, God said, and your desire. Remember, this is connected to the first one. But the second part says, and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. And the feminism so-called in some people can arise here and say, no, we are not going to take this. Just relax, okay? Let us understand the context. And first of all, what we are saying is understand that Adam is also going to get his own sentence, okay? If he's getting our own sentence, Adam is not going to be spared. And God is reading out, God is pronouncing the sentence based on number one, their offense and based on number two, the role that they play in the offense and based on number three, the role God called them to. The Bible says that unto whom much is given, much shall be expected, much shall be requested. Okay. So this judgment, there's nothing racist. There's nothing chauvinistic about this judgment. Essentially, they broke the rule. The rule is there and God is applying the rule. I know, I know I've said it, but you will see that all throughout and consistently, it is actually God that is tempering this judgment with message. In Genesis chapter 2, lay the context for us upon which Genesis chapter 3 is now being built. There's a story, there's an expectation, the context upon which we have to interpret this phrase. Then also the other context we have to put in mind is the dynamics that actually led to the fall by itself. So let's look at the context of Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, which we've done, so I'm not going to spend much time on this, but we need to revisit this, okay? So let's read Genesis chapter 2. And we're just going to read two verses. We are going to read verses 18 and 20. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, verse 20. And the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And verse 20, and Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was no found word and help meet for him. Now, this is very, very important. So I'm just going to run through some outline of thought. Now, I'm not going to go deep. We've done this in the past, so you can go back. Number one, God created the man and the woman equal. Now, let's get that straight. Okay, men and women are equal. Men in general and women in general 
men in general are not superior to women in general. You know, we've talked about the differences between our our physical body. We've talked about the differences between our emotional. God fitted us because of the role we are going to play. play. But God created the man and the woman equal. Number two, Eve was created as a help meet for Adam. Now, that may be an, an, a bit of an archaic English. What does that mean? We've done this before. The Hebrew root of that word help means to surround, that is to protect. It is one, Eve is one like himself to complement him. One like himself to complement him. Not inferior to him, not superior to him. One like himself to complement him. And Amplified Classic defines it as helper, suitable, adapted, and complementary for him. So number one, God created the man and the woman equal. Number two, when God created Eve, remember Adam was created first. And God created Eve with a purpose. And God created Eve and fitted her for the role, the purpose for which she was created. She was created to be and help made for Adam. Number three, God created Adam and Eve to be co-dependent. And that is very, very important. God created Adam and Eve to be co-dependent. The Bible says it is not good that the man should be alone. That means not pleasant. That means it's not comfortable. It's not agreeable to his nature. It's not useful to his species. So God created Adam and Eve to be co-dependent. Number four, as husband and wife, Adam and Eve were one and united. As husband and wife, Adam and Eve were one and united. And one of the things I want you to see is, as I'm reading through this contest, we started with man and woman, but we quickly honed in into Adam and Eve as husband and wife. And you need to understand the context in which many, many of these realities are taking place. It's not the context of a man and a woman generic but in the context of, of a man and woman specific, specifically in a relationship of husband and wife. God created the man and woman equal. Eve was created in the marriage setting to be a helpmate for Adam. All right? Not every woman is created to be a helpmate for every man. That is not the case. But when they come into a relationship of marriage, Eve was created to be a helpmate for Adam. God created Adam and Eve to be co-dependent in that relationship. And as husband and wife, Adam and Eve, they were one and they are united. That is why Adam said this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 to 24. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. So it is very, very, very important for us to establish this foundation of established, but we cannot stop there because the story did not stop there. In this unity, there was diversity. Now, it is very, very important. People want to talk about unity. They don't want to talk about diversity. No, there's a unity, and I've established that. That is what I've established. They were one. They were united. They are the same, blah, blah, blah. We've established that, but we need to understand that there is diversity in this unity and we cannot ignore the diversity. We cannot put, you know, we cannot be ashamed of the diversity. We cannot allow, you know, modern ideology to make us, you know, 
you know, ignore the diversity. Yes, there's unity, but we need to understand that there's diversity in the unity. Adam is the man. Eve is the woman. And it is clear. Adam is not the woman. Eve is not the man. Adam is the man. Eve is the woman. Adam is not the woman. Eve is not the man. There's the man, there's the woman. Adam, man. Eve, woman. In this God-ordained relationship, in this specific God-ordained relationship between Adam, the man, and Eve, the woman, in this God-ordained relationship, there is a man and there is a woman. The man is Adam. The woman is Eve. I know that is... So why are you saying that? I think we need to hear some of this thing because we have all sort of so-called progressive thinking that is challenging this very commonsensically clear fact. In this relationship of marriage, there's a man, there's a woman. There are not two men, there are not two women. There are one man, one woman. Adam is the man. Eve is the woman. They definitely share many things in common. We've seen that. But they both have individual vocations and roles in the plan and purpose of God. They share many, many things in common. Many, many things a man can do, a woman can do better. Many, many things a woman can do, a man can do better. But there are some things a man is called to do vocationally. And there are some things that women are come to do vocationally. And that is the way God created it from the beginning. It is not anything to be ashamed of. Now it has been bastardized. Yes, it has been corrupted. We will come to that because sin corrupted everything. The same way that sin corrupted the motherhood of Eve, sin corrupted the wifehood <laughs> of Eve, you know, the ability. And the same way is going to corrupt Adam. We'll come to Adam. Okay, let's read. Let's read Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to just pick and choose a couple of verses because of time. Ephesians chapter 5, let's read verses 22 and 23 first. Wife, submit yourself unto your own husband. You see that? Unto your own husband. As unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. He didn't say every woman should submit to every man. It's, no, it is, this is specific. Wife, submit yourself unto your own husband. Husband is the head of his own wife. He's not the head. The man is not the head of another man's wife or another man's daughter. No, I'm sorry. The man is the head of his own wife. Okay, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Let's read more. Let's read verses 31 to 33. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particularly so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reference her husband. You see how this scripture quoted what Adam said at the beginning. Okay. Now, this is very, very important for us to establish and establish and establish and establish again. This role, description, and vocation for the man and for the woman was so before the fall. Okay, the, the structure that we are seeing here, the vocation that we are seeing here was there before the fall. And this role was necessary 
This diversity was necessary. This diversity in unity was necessary for the man and the woman together to fulfill God's calling upon their life together. And this role is presented, very, very important. Where we've read, do you see how this, talking about Adam and Eve, how this was presented as a shadow and a type of the relationship between Christ and the church? Okay? That there is nothing aberrant. There is nothing last minute about this. That this relationship, this specific relationship between Adam and Eve was, was clearly portrayed and presented to us as a shadow and a type of the relationship between Christ and the church. In other words, for you to attack this structure is for you to attack the relationship between Christ and the church. In fact, when you read that, Ephesians is telling you that, that, that at the heart of the relationship between Adam and Eve is this reality of the relationship between Jesus and the church. It's not about Adam. It's not about Eve. It's about Jesus and the church. So we've looked at, number one, why this sentence came to be in the first place. Number two, we've run back quickly, very quickly, and look at the context that was laid for us in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, before we go to chapter uh, verse 16, we now look at the dynamic that actually led to the fall itself. We need to understand what you will notice is that it was, the, it was failure to follow the protocol and the framework that God has put in place for marriage relationship that actually led to the fall. This framework we've talked about very briefly in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis. It was a breach of this protocol that actually led to the fall. I work in the NHS. Oftentimes when things go wrong, we can point a finger to one man or one woman. Oftentimes it's because the system failed. The protocol was not followed. Maybe there was no protocol. But oftentimes there are protocols there. People don't just follow the protocol. And oftentimes that is what led, often led to catastrophic mistakes. All right? So that is one of the things we have seen and we are reminding ourselves that it was a breach of the protocol. It was a breach of the framework that God has put in place between the husband and the wife, between Adam and Eve. It was a breach of that protocol that opened the door and led to the fall. God's protocol and framework for life is ultimately for our good. The protocol and the framework that God has given us, not just as husband and wife, as Christians, as child in a home, as brothers and sisters, as, you know, as leaders in community, as kings, as queens. It is when people decide to throw away God's commandments and, you know, say we can do this ourselves. It is when we break and breach the protocol and the framework that God has put in place. That is when things go wrong. We need to understand that the word of God, when God put this word in place and protocol in place, it's ultimately for our own good. And when we break God's law and disobey his commands, we are the one that will ultimately suffer the consequences. Okay, so Eve was given to Adam as an helpmate, just as we have seen. Now, her relationship to Adam, remember, we're not talking about every woman and every man. We are talking about the specific man and the specific woman. The specific woman here, Eve, if relationship to Adam, her husband, is one of dependence. And now hear me, please. Don't turn me off. Eve's relationship in the beginning to Adam, her husband, is one of dependence. Now, let me, let me underscore this. This does not make her any inferior to Adam. You know, I was thinking about this. If you have a coach of a team and you have an assistant coach, 
the assistant coach may actually be richer than the coach. The assistant coach may actually, in other sphere of life, be well, well, much more well-known, most played than the coach itself. But in that role, the role of the assistant coach is to be subservient to the coach. In fact, the assistant coach may really be the brain behind the team, but he is still the assistant coach. Obviously, a good coach will recognize and will praise and will acknowledge the role of the assistant coach. And this is very, very important. So this is not a chauvinistic, this is not pulling things down. And hear me, and, and by the grace of God, because where I am now, because this is a rather very sensitive, tony, sore spot for many people, I believe I'm going to come back and dig around this a little bit more in next teaching by the grace of God. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were partners. Their relationship was that of willing submission of the wife and loving headship of the husband. There's nothing evil or bad about submission. There's nothing weak about submission. There's nothing weak about dependence. In fact, if anything, it's a strength because they were equal. It's a strength for the woman to be willingly submissive to the man. And any sensible man will understand that. And we recognize that. And we celebrate that. And this is very, very important. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were partners. Their relationship was that of willing submission of the wife and loving headship of the husband. This was what God divinely ordained. And it was beautiful. And it was effective. It was a beautiful and effective pattern. We know it has gone horribly wrong. I'm going to stop there today and we're going to come back and deal with some of these things again because I want to dig around this. Now, this was the beautiful, this was the effective divine pattern that God put in place and it worked. It was efficient until sin came in. We're going to put it, pick it up from there next time by God's grace. And if you are listening to me, remember we talked about in this, in this teaching, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you. And he has given you everything, his own son, everything just to help you. Okay? Just to help us, just to deliver us from the destruction that is coming out here. What else do you want God to do? The ball is in your court, my brother and my sister. You can come to him and please do come to him tonight if you have not done him before. Ask him. You know, humble yourself. Admit that you cannot, you cannot save yourself. You cannot mix yourself. You know, your righteousness is not going to buy you salvation. Come to him. Ask him to help you, to be your savior. And he will. He's just waiting for you to ask because he can't force this on you. Okay? And it will come in, it will change you from the inside and you will begin to grow from the inside, begin to mature from the inside, from one level of glory to another. And when this is all over, we'll spend eternity with Him in the new heaven and new earth. Do it today. We sincerely invite you to check out our teachings on YouTube Maranatha Teaching Channel. They will bless you. Thank you.